that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to an emergency pod. New defensive coordinator. Eh, we're borderline on it, but it's emergency enough. Doug Lamarie, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means dropping this in your feed on Tuesday evening. Wednesday morning, look for a recruiting pod from Nathan and Stephen that will look ahead to signing day, which will be a week away. So we're kind of squeezing them together here. Um, but this is a big hire, guys. This is a big hire. We have some texture thoughts on that. I would say in my 17 yeah, so it's Jim Knowles. Better say the facts first. Good podcasting. Let's go straight to the opinion without saying what it's about. Jim Knowles, defensive coordinator from Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, one of the very best defenses in the country this year. Behind the Georgia defense that dominated sort of the college football discussion this year, probably Wisconsin and Oklahoma State were the two defenses that played at the highest level most consistently. Oklahoma State nearly made the playoff because of its defense. That had been an offensive program. He was hired from Duke a couple of years ago. He had, it seems like, a lot of defensive autonomy under Mike Gundy. And he was responsible for this. Oklahoma State was good because of Jim Knowles' side of the ball. Now, there's a lot to discuss with that, including the fact that the 11 starters for Oklahoma State on defense were like nine seniors and two juniors. So they were really old and really veteran. Also, I think there were people said there's nobody more than a three-star among those recruits. So, you know, you want a bunch of old guys, you want Jack Sawyer. You want JT Tumaloa. Like, you know, like that's... So that happens a lot with Ohio State. Hey, this guy was good at a place where he didn't have a bunch of five stars. I wonder what he'll do with Jordan Hancock, right? That's how this works most of the time. I think in my 17 years, I think I would say this is the second most important assistant coach hire that I've been around for. And number one was Ryan Day. Because the offense after the shutout against Clemson in 2016 was in enough disarray that that had bottomed out. And it's like, you can't win at the highest level in this world with an offense that's broken. And Ed Warner and Tim Beck and Urban Meyer broke it. And that if you don't fix that, you're dead. And they hired this guy that we barely knew anything about and it turned out to be Ryan Day. I think this is second. And we could talk about, we have talked about some of the other really important hires from an assistant coach standpoint in Ohio State history, and I'm the guy who says inter- assistant coaches are interchangeable. Nathan, give us more background. You've written some stories, gotten some stuff up. What, what more do the listeners here need to know about Jim Knowles, the new Ohio State defensive coordinator, who will not take over until Oklahoma State is done with Notre Dame and the Fiesta Bowl? I think the release said he'll start on January 2nd. Yeah, you know, we had talked all along uh, when I, I say all along, it, it's been like two weeks, but we've been talking about how we thought Ohio State needed to go get a brain. They needed more than they needed to worry about like positional matchup here or, you know, the, 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 certainly the, um, I thought one of our texters put it well when he said just hiring somebody from the motor pool or whatever, like it, it, not just getting a, another connection to Ryan Day, that Ohio State needed to go out and find a schemer. And that's what this guy is by all indications. There's a bunch of profiles that were written about him this year as Oklahoma state was, you know, pushing to this sort of breakthrough. This might be the best Oklahoma state defense ever. The one that they put on the field this year. 
And a lot of profiles out there about how I think a lot of them came from the same interviews, but about how he just holds away in his office and gets out notepads and starts coming up with stuff and kind of his process. They call him sort of like a mad scientist, evil genius kind of thing. That's the that's the reputation he's coming in here with, as opposed to and it, it kind of sounds like almost directly opposed to in some ways the Kerry Combs reputation, which was, you know, motivational players coach not saying he doesn't have any scheming abilities and all that stuff but like that wasn't what he had a reputation for already Jim Knowles very much has a reputation for that already that this is a guy who uh, likes to go in and come up with solutions to football problems and new ways to stop a defense or stop an offense I should say and it's worked really well at Oklahoma State you know he they were I think 102nd nationally in total defense in his first year he's been there four years they went from 102nd to 82nd to 44th and they're third right now they've just steadily increased and as you said Doug a lot of it has been with a very veteran group but also a group as you said that is not high on like big prospects and in a league that is known for being a kind of a shootout league a big offense league so that's the background he's coming out of four two five defense. So that blends with what Ohio state transitioned to last year, but also some important differences there that I assume we'll talk to talk about here in the next couple of minutes. So the one thing that, that I had mentioned a lot was I thought they'd get a guy with NFL experience and that is not Jim Knowles. He nope. has never coached in the NFL. He has been a head coach. He's a former Ivy league head coach at Cornell from 2004 to 2009. 14-year defensive coordinator, Western Michigan, Duke, then Oklahoma State. Steven, how much – listen, I mean, we're just reading the same stuff you guys can read on the internet. We're just synthesizing it for you. This is – we're not pretending that we know Jim Knowles. Steven, from the description, right, how much does this fit the kind of hire that you thought Ohio State would make at defensive coordinator? It's perfect. His job is to be a mind. His job is to scheme and sit in the room and come up with ways to stop other offenses. It doesn't matter what he can do as a recruit. He's not known as a recruiter at all. So um, we got some questions about what does this do this for impact in recruiting? Are there guys on Oklahoma State's recruiting classes that might flip to Ohio State because of it? Or are there like targets that now Ohio State can get pushed ahead in the, in the battle for them because of him? No. Not at all. None of that's going to happen because that's not what he's here to do. It's the it's, it's but when you do this, when you when you hire a mind, that means the other assistant coaches on that side of the ball do need to be elite recruiters and elite position developers because his job is not going to be go out on the road. And we can get into this more. I do think there is one position where it can become a huge selling point for Ohio state when you're not you, you with the Jack position that you were also texting or texting about. I don't think Jack Sawyer is the guy for that. I think a guy like, I think the tweeners, the guys who are line, classified as linebackers who might grow into defensive ends, like a gay powers or a sunny styles can be that because they can do a little bit of everything. Well, then how do you get Jack Sawyer and JT Tumaloa on the field? If Jack Sawyer is not a Jack. You just have three down linemen. They did it. I mean, they had two defensive ends, one defensive tackle, and then a standing rusher on the field sometimes this year. That was Craig Young. So you just do that. I don't know if they have to be married to you have to have four defensive linemen on the field. No, I think I mean, that's the thing I think they're not going to be married to. I don't know. I I think I thought that those three down linemen also were more kind of like heavier ends or Mm -hmm. kind of two more interior guys. I, I took it as more as that Jack is sort of like a stand up end that he he's kind of like like he's an edge rusher, like he's a three, four edge rusher. 
right? Mm-hmm. Which is you're a defensive end. You're not a linebacker, right? Like TJ Watt for the Steelers is like a three, four edge guy. Mm-hmm. He's not a linebacker. He's a pass rusher. So go ahead, Nathan. I would say, I don't think it's not a position using that Jack position to me is about changing what happens before the snap more than what changes after the snap. So let's not talk about that yet. This is, there's some scheme stuff we want to get into. Let's talk about the hiring first, because I do think the process of how we got to this is important. And we have some text or thoughts on that. So this is the, the theory of hiring that I developed while I was in the McDonald's drive through line, getting the holiday pies. You guys eat the holiday pies, McDonald's holiday pies, the custard. No, I think no. the shamrock shake is overhyped as a seasonal McDonald's menu item. And the holiday pie is underhyped. It's got sprinkles on it. It's got a little icing, good crust and like a nice warm custard. It's just like, I mean, it's like, it's just the holiday version of the usual apple pie, cherry pie. No, but it's custard inside. It's not fruit. I don't want fruit. No fruit. It's uh-huh. like it's like creamy pudding. Mm-hmm. It's a pudding pie. I don't want any fruit. I used to get the cherry pies at McDonald's and like eat around the cherries. I just want the crust and like the cherry goo, but not the actual cherry, not the actual fruit. So holiday pie, don't worry about that. So I'm in the line getting holiday pies for my family. Here's the three type of people you can hire in life. And hiring assistant football coaches is part of life. One is the guy you know. It's like, why'd you hire him? Because I knew him. I trust him. I have a personal relationship with him. Yes, I think he's good at his job, but one of the selling points is the personal relationship. Ryan Day has hired a lot of people like that. Jeff Halfley fit into that. Jeff Halfley fit in a couple of categories, but Jeff Halfley was very much like that. Al Washington was somewhat like that. Corey Dennis, absolutely like that. Parker Fleming, like that. That's a big time way that Ryan Day has hired people. Personal relationship, part of it. Another way you can hire people is the up-and-comer. Somebody who has not really yet done the thing that you're hiring them to do, but you think they have potential and you're catching them on the way up before anybody else grabs them. Halfley also fit that. Halfley had not been a defensive coordinator before Ryan Day hired him. And maybe in Ryan Day's mind, mind, Parker Fleming and Corey Dennis fit those as well because they certainly got hired to do jobs that they had never done before. I, I think... Like, I think Tom Herman to some degree was like that because he, when Urban Meyer hired him as the offensive coordinator, he'd been the offensive coordinator at Iowa State, but that was still kind of like, ah, it's Iowa State. I don't know. It's not, you know, it's still kind of a leap. So it's that we know what that looks like, though, right? Mike McDonald for Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, that's an up and comer. He'd never been a defensive coordinator. He's a good, fairly young coach for the Baltimore Ravens. They hire him. We know what that looks like. And then there's the hire where you hire a guy who has absolutely done the thing at the same level that you're now hiring him to do. There's no guesswork here. And the way you make those hires is you throw money at them because you're not catching anybody on the way up. They're already there. Ohio State does does not necessarily do that a ton. Like I'm trying to – Ryan Day, I would say, was on the way up. He was like a quarterback's coach in the NFL who'd been at Boston College and Temple. He was not a sure thing when, when Urban Meyer hired him. Chris Ash, when they when Urban Meyer hired Chris Ash as defensive coordinator in 2014, who had been at Wisconsin, then had gone to Arkansas, that's a kind of like the Jim Knowles hire. I'd say that's fairly similar. You didn't really have any doubt about, like, hey, I wonder if Chris Ash can coordinate a power five defense that wins. It's like you knew he could. But this is a big dip in the money pool. We don't know for sure what the money is. But when you make a hire like this, 
you don't get credit for it because this you and I could have well, the three of us could have made this higher. My God, anybody at covering Clemson, LSU, Notre Dame, Penn State, Oklahoma, anybody with a defensive coordinator opening would have put Jim Knowles on the list. It's like, oh, who are you going to hire? I don't know. The guy who coordinated this awesome defense, who's not making a boatload of money yet, who's at a mid-tier power five team and maybe will jump for money and prestige to a better program. So Ryan Day is like not going to get any credit for this. And he's not like, he's not catching anybody on the way up, but it actually makes me think as much as I talked about more like a Mike McDonald type. Now that it's a Jim Knowles, the idea that Ryan Day, he had to shed the, I know you part. So good for him. I'm assuming they don't know each other. He had to get rid of that kind of hire, but Halfley was an up and comer. That was so good. He left. And I don't think Jim Knowles is in a hurry to leave would be my guess with where he is, what his career has been. Even when Chris Gosh, Chris Ash got here, he came to be part of Urban Meyer head coach finishing school. And I sat in Chris Ash's office and talked all about that. So like, I, I like these stories that you were referencing, Nathan, like a lot of Brandon Marcello for 247 sports wrote one of them that I thought was very informative about Jim Knowles. It had nice little anecdotes, but the anecdotes really told you about the person. When I sat in Chris Ash's office and wrote a big pre, uh, profile on him, the number one overriding thing that I came away from that experience was he wanted to be a head coach. Like it would not, it was not Chris Ash is in his office scheming. It was Chris Ash is in his defensive coordinator office at Ohio state practicing to be a head coach. So then when he got hired at Rutgers, Rutgers writers could say, Hey, look, this guy really wanted to be a head coach. Read this story. Jim Knowles, like Nathan, that's not the vibe from what we're reading about this guy. So this is a money hire. This is not a, I'm smarter than everybody else. And I'm going to dig out a diamond in the rough kind of hire. This is obvious. But with Ohio State, where this program is right now on the defensive side of the ball, the fact that Ryan Day went obvious and maybe a guy who is not on the fast track, hey, I'm 37, I want to be a coordinator now so I can be a head coach by the time I'm 40. I don't want to sell Jim Knowles short, but I can understand why Ryan Day made this kind of hire, Nathan, because I don't think that – Ryan Day has not made this kind of hire before. The closest would have been Greg Madison. But Greg Madison had an urban connection because Kerry Combs, that was like personal. That was Ryan Day. was like, hey, man, I work with this guy, right? So this is, this is mostly unlike any hire Ryan Day has made. And now that it's happened, I understand why he went to this type of hire. Yeah, when you think it through that way, it, it, it does start to check a lot of boxes. And he, like you said, he's been a head coach before. Jim Knowles has been a head coach before, but it was at his alma mater. Uh, he's an Ivy League grad. He's a Cornell grad. So that plays into probably why that happened. And I, you do definitely get the impression when you read these things about him, and we haven't met him and haven't talked to him, and hopefully we will soon. I guess we probably won't until January 3rd. But uh, that he is – that he's very much – this is what he is. He is a defensive coordinator first and foremost, and not just a, a coach who happens to be coaching the defense right now on his way to that greater identity. And this, I know what safe probably isn't the right word in, to some extent. 
you are getting someone who, again, it's been like a gradual build to what he's done at Oklahoma State. They haven't, it wasn't like he went there immediately and transformed it into one of the best defenses in the country. So there's, there's some prove it there a little bit for Knowles, I guess. Um, he had good success at the end of his Duke career, too. But, but for Ryan Day, a lot was at stake here because you can't, I don't think, miss on this decision twice in a row. You know, the first one he got right, Halfley got right with a very loaded roster, obviously, on the defensive side of the ball. But that worked out great. And the Kerry Combs thing did not work out like that. That was a miss. So to have another miss here, I think, would be a problem. And you've got to find a way to bring some stability to this side of the ball because it, it's been unstable now for two years based on the results. I wouldn't call it safe. I would call it on brand. The idea of like having... I mean, we kind of talked about it when he hired Kerry Combs, having a guy around here like a Brent Venables who's going to be here for a while. and You don't have to worry about the Jeff Halfley thing of, you know, he's going to leave. And that's what Jim Knowles is. He's one. He just might be a better. He's just going to be better at the job of defensive coordinator because he's done it before. But also you're not worried about him leaving after two or three years or even after next season because the defense was really good. So it's, it's one brand for what he's looking for in coordinators, guys who might stick around for a little longer. But it's, it's unlike any coordinator hire he's made. It's not on. I mean, why? But it is safe. Is the it? relationship? I would say the relationship is is what's different. But don't you, you don't think that when he hired Kerry Combs, he wasn't thinking that somebody was going to come here and be here for a while. Kerry Combs had never called a defense before. This is a completely different hire. I asked him questions about, do you want him to be your Brent Venables? But the idea that this is that similar to Kerry Combs, Kerry Combs is a guy he knew who had never called a defense. He doesn't, right. he doesn't know Jim Knowles at all. He's called defenses for 14 years. This is much safer. It's not as comfortable as hiring a guy you know. It is much safer. I'm not exactly sure what a, mi- what a miss here would look like. Right? Like, hey, man, this guy got here, and he doesn't know how to call defense at all. Right. Like, boy, he's been pulling the wool over people's eyes for 14 years as a defensive coordinator. And yes, it's a jump from Duke to Oklahoma State. But I mean, this is safe. It's out of his comfort zone because Ryan Day likes to hire people he knows. But. Yeah. And the whole point is, it's not on brand because he's never hired someone disqualified before. He's never hired someone disqualified for this important of a job. Well, that's Greg, yeah. <laughs> Greg Madison was brought here to be like an overseer mm-hmm. right before his retirement so that Jeff Halfley could like scheme it up and Greg Madison could tell him what it was like, what life in the Big Ten was like. I think they are. I think they are going to give this guy the defensive side of the ball. So you have to feel safe. I think and they're throwing. A, I would imagine they're going to throw a ridiculous amount of money at him because he, every, everybody wanted him. Didn't everybody want this guy? Yes, there were definitely, you know, I think his name was attached at Florida. Oklahoma State was trying to keep him and was trying hard to keep him from what we were hearing from from Mike Gundy. He made about 800,000 last year. Ohio State could double that and still not be beyond what it usually pays for the guys who coordinated offense and defense. So that's kind of probably the the ballpark that I expect him to be working in. It'd be more. They paid Combs it'd be slightly. Yeah. slightly. It'd be two hundred thousand more than uh, you, both Wilson and Combs because they paid they paid um, Shiano one point five in twenty eighteen. So you go back. So you're talking about three years later to be paying someone one point six. That's still pretty much in line with what where they've been 
living for a few years. And because Combs had never done it before, I thought that that probably affected. Where, are you just make you're not where you where you get why are you saying one point six? I'm just saying imagining that if, they, if they doubled, if they doubled what he made, it would be one point six. Do you think it's one point six, or do you think it's more? Um, knowing that other schools had to have been in on this, guy. it might be more. It Definitely. might be more. Definitely. I think it might be. I don't want to say significantly because that's not the right word, but it's 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 going to be much higher than one point six. Because you know what the problem is? SEC schools. We're talking to them. Yeah. Once yeah. SEC schools start talking to a guy, it's like mm-hmm. well. And for Ohio State to compete to compete with like with SEC schools at this point, they're going to have to start throwing around at least to some extent SEC money with some coordinators if they want to do that. It was interesting. I I had written the piece um, was mostly fully formed about um, some of the various candidates that they people that they might look like in this job, and one of the points that I brought up was because I had like subheads for every kind of category. And the problem with like going out and just hiring another defensive coordinator somewhere in the country, like Knowles was one of the few that has had any kind of success that wasn't already making like over $2 million. Like the guy at Texas A&M who's had some good years was at like 2.1. And he was like the third highest paid defensive coordinator just in the SEC. So this was like this, this did kind of thread a needle as far as like guys who they could give a huge raise to, um, that weren't already making that kind of money. They weren't going to have to like go above and beyond what they were already making. Yeah. I think, I mean, there were a couple guys, Brett Venables was making like 2.5 last year. And I did think the point USA today always does that assistant coaches database. I think like, I think the one for 2021 is like not quite out yet. It usually comes out right now, next week or something. I think it'll be out. So you sort of have to go by 2020, but I think in 2028 of the highest 10 paid assistants were defensive coordinators. And I think that's because there's a lot of offensive head coaches because we're in an era where they like to hire offensive head coaches mm-hmm. and then people and programs at various points have hit the problem that Ohio state hit this year, which is well, the head coach has that side of the ball taken care of, but the other side of the ball is not good enough. We have to hire somebody who's as good as our head coach on that opposite side of the ball, but who will come without being a head coach. And that is this club of $2 million defensive coordinators, sort of like lifelong coordinators or guys who got a shot to be a head coach and it didn't work out. And they go back to being a coordinator. So I'll be curious where this number comes in. I think this number is going to come in perhaps unreasonably high for Ohio state, because I think to your point, they had to thread a needle and they had to fight off the competition. And if you're going for Jim Knowles and Jim Knowles goes to Florida or somewhere else, I I wonder what's next. Like, is it Jim Leonard at Wisconsin where you try to go do the same thing, but maybe he's a big 10 guys and Lumber doesn't want to come. Like it's, there's not, if you were going to go this way, there's not a million Jim Knowles out there with this pedigree price range and willingness to move. And it is just an interesting thing. Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator who helped change Michigan, 34 years old. Jim Knowles coming to save the Ohio State defense, 56 years old. But to go back to something Steven said, because I understand why you pushed back on that, Doug, about the the on-brand. There are elements of it, though, 
that do line up with some things that Ryan Day has done on his coaching staff before. And if he wants to keep Matt Barnes here, and if he wants Matt Barnes to be an integral part of this defense and and utilizing what he thinks his brain brings to this defense, then matching him with an older coordinator I think makes sense too not that there's going to be a co-coordinator situation like what they've had before but that that also made sense to me too that they would end up with someone who is a little bit older because of the balance that he likes to have on the staff at times they put Greg Madison in the defensive back room this time instead of the linebacker room basically no but they're not going to put him in a room I I am pushing back on the on-brand thing a hundred times Ryan Day hires his friends he didn't hire his friend and he's never hired someone disqualified for this important of a job I mean, the only other close, the one that's close is Mike Yersich, who we also hired from Oklahoma State, who came to be the offensive coordinator, didn't work for in a year, and he left. <laughs> so, like, I am this. The whole point is Ryan Day had to get off brand. Parker Fleming is on brand for Ryan Day. Kerry Combs is on brand for Ryan Day. Al Washington and Jeff Halfley and Corey Dennis are on brand for Ryan Day. There's five guys he knew. This is a very qualified 56-year-old guy who he maybe has never met in person. So it's different. Well, I think he's probably met him in person by now. We should attract where, um, where were the, the places that Ryan day was flying to go see recruits this week where he could have like jumped out of the plane over norm. No, no, over, over Stillwater, Oklahoma and been like, ah, the plane tracked the plane, but I'm in the backpack. I just landed. Knowles, come meet me in a wheat in a in a soybean field. We'll hammer this out. Then I'll go see another recruit. Well, I think it's more likely that Ryan Day was in like Dallas or something like that, and Jim Knowles happened to end up in Dallas too. I don't think those things happened in. They don't. They don't tend to not happen like in Stillwater. They tend to you, not happen in this, like in a Panera by the Dallas airport. Jim, yeah, what are you? I was just in here getting one of those little souffles. Do you like those souffles also? Do you want to be a $2 million defensive coordinator in Columbus, Ohio? Awesome. I have a feeling it would be more like the JW Marriott or whatever it is in Dallas or some other really nice hotel. But yes, same, same thing. It probably when they, when him and Larry Johnson went to go see Harold Canoe last week, (laughs) he sent Larry Johnson on his way after they got done with hero and said, Hey, I'm going to go to Oklahoma. I'll meet you at the next spot in a couple of days. I'm going to go find your new boss. Yeah. Jerry, Larry Johnson was like, I'm going home. Yeah. Don't, I'm going home. You know, I'm too old for this stuff. But to follow up on, on this last conversation we were just having though, the, one of the other departures is though, from everything we've read about Knowles, it's like the guy, all these profiles say, you know, Sunday night, he goes in locks himself in his room and comes out in like two days with a bunch of scribbles on a pad of paper. Like Mike Gundy said something like he could be watching cartoons in there. I don't know what he's doing. And, this whole idea of like, he, he even says like, I don't talk to my assistants during that time. Like, I'm not like, we're not, it's, it's not, it's going to be a different vibe with the way this staff is put together now, I think, because all this collaborative stuff that we've heard about these last two years, I don't think is how Jim Knowles works and how this is going to work going forward. No, there may be two words that have been very popular around Ohio state coaching the past couple of years that may be gone. One is collaboration and the other is the bullet. Let's take a break. We'll come back and talk about how this all might shake out with the rest of the staff. And we'll get to some of the answers from our texters next on Buckeye Talk. All right. I do want to bring the texters in here and get and get you guys your opinions on these same questions that I sent the texters. I'm into the new, the new ranking system now. 
I like the ranking questions instead of the ordering stuff. It's it's one to ten. You can go one to five. You can go one to ten. So it's like like we like to do well. I give it like a six and a half. That kind of thing. No have numbers though. You have to do vote for a whole number. I asked multiple questions on this. How important is this defensive coordinator hire for Ohio State? One is not much effect. Coaches come and go. Ten is huge. Steven, one to ten, what do you think this was? Ten being huge, one being no big deal. Not Jim Knowles, but like getting the defensive coordinator Mm. hire right. Eight, because I don't know if you can be at a ten when you haven't seen him do anything yet. Well, no, but again, not him. This is the idea of. Oh, just, okay. They have to hire somebody good. Like the process of this. Their defense wasn't very good. They're bringing in somebody from the outside to fix it. That. But I could have asked this question before Jim Knowles was hired. That idea. Because I have a Jim Knowles question next. Okay. Then 10. Then 10. Nathan. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll say nine. But it, 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 like I said, you couldn't miss on this. You couldn't, you couldn't screw this up twice in a row. So it's almost a 10. 9.14. Everybody is voting eight, nine, or 10. There's practically no one who voted lower than that. So the idea that like, this is super important. Is this, I don't know. I mean, any one individual recruit, I guess this actually should probably be an off season story. Rank Ryan Day's 10 most important decisions since he's been hired. Would number one be deciding to offer CJ Stroud late in the cycle when he already had Jack Miller in the class? Probably. I think those are. Uh, I think by that uh, logic, it's two different pods. I think there's one where it's like a recruiting pod of Ryan Day's ten most important recruits, and then his ten most important. That's decisions. not the. It's, it's well, not the pod I'm doing. You don't have to be on it. Then we're going to do the <laughs> most important decisions. Getting combined. Getting Justin. Getting, getting, getting Justin Fields. Yeah, getting getting Justin Fields yeah. uh, going after him. Okay, Justin Fields is out there. I'm not happy with Matthew Baldwin, Tate Martell. I'm going hardcore to get this guy. Justin Fields won. Field is one firing everybody, not bringing back anybody, but Larry Johnson on the defense for his first staff is two. Ah, everybody could have done that though. Everybody. There's no way those people could have stayed. I I would, I would say this is more important than that because that was so obvious. This picking this guy, I think more goes into that because you knew urban couldn't have brought that staff back either, but what's, is this bigger than Stroud or is Stroud bigger than this? I think this is bigger than Stroud because there were there were other options this season besides Stroud on the roster. Okay. All right. So we're I'm just trying to figure out like how big a deal this is. Nine point one four from the Texers. Do the idea of doing it. How excited are you about the hire of Jim Knowles? One is bad. Still don't have much faith in the defense. Ten is great. You think he turns this into an excellent defense next season? The excitement level, Nathan, one to ten. What do you think? Excitement level tonight, uh, eight. Steven? Yeah, eight. Yeah, you guys are right. 7.78. More people voted for eight than any, any other number. It's hard. All of these, all people know is he was the Oklahoma State defensive coordinator. Oklahoma yeah. State was good. We texted a couple things to him. We're not expecting you. It's just resume. Do you think this is a good hire? It's not an NFL guy. It's not a younger guy. It's an older guy. It's not an up-and-comer. It's a guy who's established, who's done this for a long time. It's not a great recruiter. It's a schemer. 
that's the kind of stuff that you can judge this off of. He smokes cigars. He's a vegan. He likes rap music. He's an old school coach who yells at everybody the same way. This is all the stuff from Oklahoma State. What is your level of faith in Ryan Day to get this higher right? One is not much. Ten is lots of faith. Stephen, what do you think the texter said? Five or six. Nathan? You know, I was going to say after the result, after they know who he got tonight, I would say like a seven. 7.44. And I do think I would vote lower in theory, but then mm-hmm. he took, again, what I think is the safe, it's the safest hire that you could make. It's the number one obvious hire. This guy was like number one on everybody's list. Who'd you hire? Well, the, okay, the best but, defensive coordinator in the country who was available. Yeah. But that's sort of like when he went and got Justin Fields to be his quarterback in 2019. But Justin Fields, how do I say this? Uh, he could offer Justin Fields playing time. You can just throw money at this guy till he says yes. So, like, this is easier to me. There's some, hey, do I believe in this coach? This is my, I'm a young quarterback. This is my career at stake. Am I going to fit the offense? He's never been a head coach before. I think that's a harder sell. This is like, Jim, it's freaking Ohio State. What is it, 1.8, 2.3? Yeah. What does it take, man? Let's do Especially, this. What are we doing? Especially three years into this, where they've been in the playoffs the first two years, and the only reason they're not there right now is because of the thing he coaches. This was not a hard hire, but that doesn't. So, I mean, sometimes easy and obvious is exactly the way to go. Again, you don't have to outsmart yourself. So, I didn't, I didn't know this is the way he would go, but I feel better. He likes hiring people he knows. He couldn't do it this time. Thank goodness he didn't. Unless we find out, actually, I was trying to figure that out. It's like Jim Knowles is originally from Philly. Ryan Day recruited Kyle McCord out of Philly. Ryan Day was at Temple for a tiny bit. Landis is from Philly. I feel like Landis is the conduit here. Did he make this happen? Was he the Ryan Day, Jim Knowles go-to? You know how Philly people are. I mean, like, don't mess with Philly people. Landis is going to break every defensive story the rest of the year. I mean, the rest of his career. It's like Landis is like, this is like his uncle. Uncle Should we just ask him what the two deep is right now? Just ask Bill, just text Bill and be like, hey, what's the two deep? It's like Jim Knowles is going to go lock himself in his office for 48 hours with Bill from Sunday through Tuesday. And the only person allowed in is Landis. Like Landis will knock on the door and be like, I have soft pretzels. And Knowles will be like, come on in, brother. And they'll go in there and dial up some defense. And I'll be like, I'm from two hours away from Philadelphia. And Jim Knowles and Bill Landis will tell me to shut up, outsider. And then they'll dial up a defense. All right. So people think it's. The order is, it's super important, we're excited, we trust Ryan Day. That's the order of where things went. The, the, much, the highest thing by far was, it's super important, but still pretty high on the other two. He is a linebackers guy by trade, but Nathan, my guess is he does not have a room. R- Greg Schiano, his last year here, didn't have a room. He was just a defensive coordinator, coordinator which I think is a good use of the 10th uh, the, the assistant spot that They currently were using the 10th assistant spot on a special teams coach slash pseudo assistant secondary coach. I don't think is a good use of that 10th spot. That to me was just like the budget. We just had to squeeze in somebody cheap for the 10th spot. And then we talked about special teams walkthroughs all the time. This is a good use. You got to pay for it though. But I think he won't have a room because you need a schemer. So then what how do someone's got to go 
So how do we think this shakes down, Nathan? And do we think this is the only defensive change? Or do you think this is one of multiple defensive changes? Great question. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think that definitely, as we've speculated, like it doesn't seem like Kerry Combs would be back. So here's the thing about Kerry Combs that I do think is important. If Knowles is making whatever, let's say between 1.6 and 2, and I would probably lean higher than lower on that scale. Larry Johnson made 1.13 last year, and Kerry Combs made 1.4. I don't think you can have three guys all that high. So, like, if Kerry Combs is going to stay, he's got to take a pay cut. And the, the two obvious choices are it's either, like, Kerry Combs is out or you just tell Parker Fleming, sorry. Like, there's no room for you. You didn't, you didn't do anything wrong, but there's no room for you. And then your new defensive staff, if you get rid of Parker, if you knock Parker Fleming back down to a analyst or something, then your defensive staff is Larry Johnson on the defensive line, Al Washington at linebackers, Matt Barnes with the safeties, Kerry Combs with the corners, and Jim Knowles as a defensive coordinator. That would be very reasonable. Or if you don't have Kerry Combs, then it's Larry Johnson, Al Washington, Matt Barnes is the entire secondary. Parker Fleming is kind of his assistant, and that's it. I mean, Kerry Combs started this season as the defensive coordinator without a room. So that that idea, that's that could work out that way. And but but part of it is I just I don't think they can fit the salaries in. And then would Kerry take getting his pay cut in half to stay? And I just don't know how that works. But also, I think there could be multiple changes anyway. Yeah. So I also don't know. I'd like to go look and see how many defensive staffs there are where there's a guy who does the whole secondary, especially a defense that starts three safety positions. Like I would like to go see, I I should research that. Like how many of those there are. That just seems like you're starting to spread a guy pretty thin. I know Larry Johnson kind of does the same thing a little bit because you got the ends and the tackles both up front under one guy. He's also Larry Johnson. And so there's that. (laughs) So I I just, I wonder if that, if they're going to need to restructure this, in some way. And that's where I always, oh, it's what that speculation of if somebody on offense were to leave, if, if, um, if Kevin Wilson had gotten a head coaching job somewhere else, do you just sort of do a little blip there and it gains you a defensive staff without having to f- replace him a, a defensive staff? I think, I think the idea of if Kerry stays, that's the big, if him taking a pay cut and oh, I don't, does, I honestly doesn't need a special teams coordinator, Ryan day, just go over there and, didn't help out with that. Your Urban just, Meyer started. Well, just, Urban Meyer was doing that. Yeah, they usually divide it up. Yeah, or just divide it up. So just you don't need a special teams coordinator if you want to. And if Kerry Combs is okay taking a pay cut, then there's your defensive staff. I mean, it'd probably just be Matt Barnes going back to that role, but also doing safety, doing safety whatever, stuff. You know what I mean? And then you would have overlap between him and Combs if Combs stayed as the corners coach. But they've often had times where it's like one guy has punt coverage. One guy has punt return. Mm-hmm. One guy has kick coverage. One guy has kick return. You divide up the four units. You'll have a little yeah. piece of it. That's very doable. So I asked this about Kerry Combson of the texters. Uh, I said, do you hope that Kerry Combs remains part of the Ohio state defensive coaching staff? Yes. No, or it doesn't matter. Overwhelming. Yes. They hope yep. he stays 79%. Yes. 
17% doesn't matter, 4% no. Do you think Kerry Combs will be part of the Ohio State defensive coaching staff next year? Overwhelming, no. 66% no, 17% don't know, 17% yes. So, you know, we've kind of been saying on this pod for a while that we kind of can't see it. So I don't know if that influenced people or not. Um, it's hard. It's hard from a money standpoint. But Stephen, the listen, this is this time of year where everybody's out recruiting and they're on the road and all the players are posting photos of who stopped by and visited them. How, how vital is Kerry Combs to Ohio State's recruiting operation right now? And how much should that influence this discussion? Is there a world where it's like, listen, we got to cut your pay some, but man, you're a great recruiter. You're a great position coach. You love it here. We love you. Stay and do what you do best. And we can't pay 1.4. We pay a 9 850 will stretch and we need you to do the things you are an expert at Steven. Do they need him? Is he one of their most vital recruiters or they'll just slide somebody in, put a little more on Matt Barnes and, and it'll be okay because you have to be able to replace assistants. It honestly depends on who we're talking about. If we're talking about AJ Harris, very vital. That's a five-star and the number one guy on their list. And they won't absolutely need to have that guy. If you're talking about whoever the next Terrence Brooks is in the 2023 or 2024 class, I think they've done enough there with Matt Barnes being ingrained into some of those recruitments that they should be fine because he has just as strong as relationships, especially with the safeties, you know, like Xavier Wampa, Zion Branch, uh, Caleb Downs, like with the safeties, Matt Barnes has a good enough to relationship to where if you lose Kerry Combs, you'll be okay. It's really with the five stars, the guys who might be the next Marshawn Lattimore's or the next Jeff Okuda's. That's where Kerry Combs and the, the, the reputation he has, but then also just his ability as a recruiter comes in. So if you want AJ Harris, it'd be, be wise to still have Kerry Combs on your staff to make that happen. And it happens. Listen, this happens with every school. Yeah. I mean, Everybody it's in Oklahoma's class decommitted when Lincoln Riley left. Certainly Clemson's mm-hmm. going to lose defensive guys with Brent Venables moving. It's a part of the job. We get that. So there's, there's no, you can't have an irreplaceable coach because you wouldn't be able to function as a program. Nathan, if you were Ryan day, what would you try to do? Cause I think we, we can't get in Carrie's head. He's loyal. He loves Ohio state. He's also a really good coach and he's done this a long time and he might not be up for, you know, a demotion long-term, but he also is a kind of guy that I could see. And I don't want to say swallow your pride because it doesn't mean you don't have pride. It just means that you do what's best for your family, the program, your players, even if it is not the number one thing you might personally pick for your career, you understand that like, you know what, this is pretty darn good, but let's talk about the Ryan, Ryan day side of it. Can, can you be Ryan day, Nathan? And, and, find a way to make this work that Kerry Combs sticks around on a Jim Knowles staff? Uh, I can be Ryan Day. I, I already have the beard. Um, I'm uh, astonishingly wealthy. I can be Ryan Day in this. I'll put some Air Maxes on real quick. <laughs> How do you know I don't have? Uh, yeah, I I think a lot of it, though, I, yeah, even if you put yourself in Ryan Day's mindset, a, a lot of it depends on what Kerry is thinking. Like, is he, like, the, the staff dynamics that went in that went on behind the scenes this year, like is, is he 
comfortable now because it, it does change things. Like you go from being the guy who's in charge and the guy who's at the top of the list. And now you have to, you give up all that control. You give up all of that. Um, the, the, the decision-making that goes into that, you take a more subordinate role in the operation. And if it, a lot of it, I think depends on whether you think Carrie would accept that again. But I think if I was Ryan Day, I would love, I would like to keep Kerry Combs on staff. Just because of everything he means, he's proven as a recruiter. He's proven as a developer of cornerbacks. And if Kerry Combs is up for it, I would keep him. It is one of those things where if we say Jim Knowles is a schemer, maybe not known for his recruiting, it makes guys like you said, Stephen, it makes guys like Kerry Combs even more important. Larry Johnson, great recruiter. Kerry Combs, mm-hmm. great recruiter. Al Washington and Matt Barnes, I think the jury's still out to some extent on them. Not bad, but I, they don't have the skins on the wall. They don't have Larry a, Johnson they don't ha- and Kerry Combs have. They don't have a guy where you can't say, oh, anybody would have got that guy. Right. No, I agree. Yeah. That it's like, who's like the top 100 out of state guy that like your personal relationship got him over the top. They didn't grow up a Buckeye fan. They're not from Ohio. They're not a three-star who's just so happy to get an offer that they'd take it from any coach. So uh, it is one of those things, but I do think the structure of the staff, Nathan, is what we were talking about. Parker Fleming is not a defensive coach, but he sort of filled this special team pseudo defensive role. But when Kerry Combs didn't have a room, he was Ohio State's former cornerbacks coach. So he could dabble in that, right? It was like, well, that's a lot for Barnes to take on. Parker Fleming doesn't have a ton of experience, but Kerry Combs is around. Now you change the guy on top. It's Jim Knowles. I do. If Kerry's not here, then maybe you need more reinforcement for Matt Barnes on the back end than just Parker Fleming, because Jim Knowles isn't going to be providing that reinforcement. He's going to be locked in his office. So I do, there's enough that changes about it that my guess would be it is not only either Combs or Fleming out, Knowles in that spot, and everything else stays the same. That is not my guess. I don't have a strong guess beyond that, but that is would that would be my instinct at the moment. That there's a that maybe it's at least maybe it's Combs and Fleming. They're like Combs doesn't work out, he's not staying. And then Parker, man, like we just we need somebody else there because of the structure. Now I, I could maybe see that. I think Ryan Day likes Matt Barnes. Yeah. Do we think that's an? I mean, he that's who we turn to, right? And if I were Matt Barnes, I don't know that I would be like, what? what? Jim Knowles, I'm out, right? I mean, Matt Barnes has a pretty good deal here. They can give him a little raise. That I could see. And Larry Johnson is a legend, so nobody's in it. But so that leaves out. So then I don't know about Al. The linebackers haven't played great. I mean, that's just a fact. And Al's had opportunities before. Maybe the next time Al gets an opportunity, it's that it's not the time where he thinks and thinks and thinks and decides, you know what, I guess I'll stay in Ohio State sort of pitches to keep him. Maybe, maybe there's just some movement here. That's not a prediction, but it feels like to me maybe more than one move. Okay. I feel like we have a handle on how this, how Ryan Day arrived at this guy a little bit of a discussion on what the staff is going to look like. So now let's do that scheme stuff. What is this defense going to look like under Jim Knowles? And that is next on Buckeye talk. All right. So I think it would help if we try to predict the starters who will be on the field. When Ohio state plays Notre Dame, the first snap against Notre Dame, and what will they, what role will they be in? And we're not talking about what you name stuff, whether it's a Jack or a bandit or no more bullet or whatever they're going to do. Everybody has cool names, but 
whose jobs might really change. Just the way that we saw Ronnie Hickman really be kind of came one thing at the start of the year and became a different thing by the end of the year. By the way, like, and Jim Knowles, Nathan, like this is not, a, there's single high safety is not really in the discussion here. This is a four, two, five, two deep safeties, other safeties roaming kind of thing. This, this defense will look like what Ohio state moved to. This is Ryan day letting go of the single high safety idea. And I also will say the one thing I forgot to mention that I researched, did I mention it when Brent Venables took over at Clemson in 2012, they replaced Kevin Steele as the defensive coordinator. They hired Brent Venables from Oklahoma. It's funny to go back and read stories from then. It was not like everybody was like great hired by Clemson. Some of the stuff was like, ah, Oklahoma was kind of tired of him. I don't know. What's he really done kind of stuff. And then it became Brent Venables back then in a world where you only had nine assistants they had one of those things where they had an offensive head coach, but they had five offensive assistants. They only had four defensive assistants. So is that right? No, I guess that's not right. I looked it up. No, that is right. Linebackers, DBs. Yeah, because that was the way they did it. And so there were three other assistants besides Kevin Steele. In 2011, Kevin Steele is a Clemson defensive coordinator. In 2012, Brett Venables is. Kevin Steele's gone. Nathan, how many other defensive coaches would you guess changed for Clemson from 2011 to 2012? The other three guys who were on the staff in 2011? Zero. Zero. It was zero. They just changed the defensive coordinator and they kept everybody else the same. Because one of the texters asked a smart question that I responded to. Like, how if, if they are really giving the defensive side of the ball to Jim Knowles, does that mean he has a lot of influence on the hiring? On, on he's the boss. Now he's the boss of the defensive assistants. So he has a say in hiring them. And I thought, mm, that's interesting. And then you look at something like that. It's like Brett Venables either chose to or was forced to keep all the same dudes. And one of those dudes like was still there with Brett Venables 10 years later. One of the guys that like he inherited. So I don't know how that's going to look. I will say before we get into the scheme, it feels like maybe Jim Knowles will be like the most powerful defensive coordinator in my time covering the team. I don't because there've been a, there's been a co a lot like, and I wasn't here for D'Antonio, but like, and I wasn't here for Mark Snyder, but like Jim Haycock and Luke fickle were co's like almost the whole time. And then Chris Ash came, Chris Ash was pretty powerful because urban wanted to change the style of defense. He brought in Chris Ash to do that. Chris Ash implemented his system. Luke still was a co under that though. But this, Nathan, feels like Ryan Day's like, I'm hiring you and I'm paying you a ton of money to do whatever you want to do. Whether that extends to hiring, we don't know. But I think you could argue he will be the most powerful defensive coordinator in at least 17 seasons. But he's going to run this 4-2-5. Nathan, what do we think that looks like at Ohio State with this team and these players? So as you already mentioned, the the two biggest departures would be that Jack position, which is a stand-up rushing position, often off the edge, but not always. They'll move it around, and uh, as as being one of the, kind of the big advantages of that schematically is that you can disguise your your pressures and things, and 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 how you're choosing to attack teams. And then also you know the bullet, which they call what is it? They call it the bandit, I think, or something like that at mm-hmm. at Oklahoma State. It has its own name, uh, but that's really still more of a. I wouldn't call that a hybrid position. I would. Th- I think it's it's closer to being more 
just a third safety, which I know the bullet worked out of the safety room. Now we're getting into semantic stuff that no, we talked ourselves into all By the, the end of the year, the bullet wasn't the bullet. The bullet was just right. a safety. Right. So which the bullet is, died. It just Ronnie is, Hickman was a safety. Which is where I was getting to, which is that it isn't that much of a departure because this I thought that we had that it was going to be a linebackerish position was not true, that it really was just having that safety on the field. So what I'm what I'm curious about, and as you said, we can try to sort of like guess the lineup, but it with Knowles coming in, does it open them up philosophically to getting players on the field who they might not have gotten on the field together previously? So don't, don't ask I, the question, answer the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the I'm answer gonna, to that? I just I just yeah. like mapped it out in my head a little bit. Um, front four. Jack, JT, Talik, and Ty Hamilton. So JTTJ. Uh, Simon and Chambers are your linebackers. Hold on. Hold on. Jack Sawyer and JT at the ends and Tyleek yeah. Williams and who? Ty Hamilton. Ty Hamilton the inside. And for the sake of your argument, let's just make Jack the Jack. Okay. But, but um, like the Jack is the biggest change. So like that's the whole thing. We can't just start with like, well, let's just start with four down linemen because that's not what it is. Mm. they're going to have a stand up fourth guy. That guy is very seldom going to be down. Yeah. So that's, that's exactly where we have to stop because they've always had, except for the odd third down where Craig Young was moving around. They had a three man front. They've almost, and they even did that more this year than they had in recent they years. The past, they almost yeah. always have four down linemen and Jim Knowles, Nathan, did you, I watched some film like, often, often does not have four down linemen because that second edge guy is up. So we can't start with naming off four defensive linemen that makes it sound like the same because when I said Jack Sawyer at the Jack before, Stephen, you said, no, not Jack Sawyer at the Jack. But I guess I don't, maybe I'm reading this wrong. This is not going to be a great podcast. I almost feel like we should go double check it. I thought that it was more almost like, two tackles and an end down, and, a, and then the, the jack is an end who's up. Or is it one yes. tackle, two ends down, and then the jack? I you haven't researched I mean? Oklahoma State's roster enough yeah. to know exactly how that looked. But 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 many teams have, have used – there's other teams that call like what, like a, a, a Leo Star. or whatever. There's, there's other names for it where it's more it – it's another kind of hybrid, really. It's more like a hybrid end linebacker position. But it's it's still it's a way that it's it's going to be another departure. Like you already said, like what were the two things that Ryan Day said that he told defensive coordinators when he was hiring him before, whether that was Halfley or whether that was when he brought Combs in? It's like you got to do the single high safety thing, which is gone, and you got to do a four man front. Like right. he was that was his he was adamant about the four man front. Like my defense has to have a four man front. So this would be a departure from that. You could, I guess, talk yourself into it also, though, being having elements of the same philosophy, right? You still have four people up there, just the one of them standing up. And I think until you have a guy in on the roster who can do it to its fullest ability, you got to supplement it a little bit. Because because Craig, Craig Young's probably on this list if he's still on this roster, but he's not at this point. And there's nobody else who has that body type and the ability to do some of those things. And so maybe you supplement it until you get a Sonny Styles or Gay Powers is in a position to be able to actually do it. But but that's where I disagree again. Here's So it feels like to me, you look at the Oklahoma State depth chart, 
There are two tackles. God, I feel like I have to delete half of this. There are two defensive tackles. So there is a Ty Hamilton and a Tyleek Williams. And there's an end. And it's like a power end, right? Like a JT at end. Mm -hmm. So if you're acting like the Jack, first of all, I don't think we can exactly treat the Jack as just like another defensive end. We have to acknowledge that some of those responsibilities will slightly change. And that guy will be moving around. He'll be up instead of down. And he won't always be on the end of the line. Sometimes he'll be in the middle. But if that guy is not a defensive end, all of a sudden you're only playing one defensive end. So I don't, that's why I said Jack Sawyer there. Because otherwise, I don't know how Jack Sawyer and JT get on the field together if Jack Sawyer is not a Jack. No, I I agree with you. So it's not a linebacker spot. Right. But it requires an end. Chase Young could have been it. Zach Harrison could have been it. A lot of these guys could have been it. But you're going to be asking that guy to do some different stuff than what they've done before. So when they did it before, it was like Craig, because they would do it with Craig Young and a three-man front that was two ends and one nose. Craig Young would be dancing around on third down with Zach Harrison and and Tyreek Smith at end. And then it's almost like a fourth pass rusher, but that's not really what this is. This is two tackles and an end, and your your second end is up and moving. So I do think that fits Jack Sawyer, but I think we have to think of the guys who will play that position mostly as ends. It is not... It is not a linebacker spot because then all of a sudden you can't let Larry Johnson go out and recruit these guys because you're not going to be able to play them. Right. This is right. far from unprecedented in football. I mean, you had Jonathan Cooper was the defensive end here and is playing offensive outside linebacker in the NFL. Ryan Kerrigan was the defensive end at Purdue. Trigger warning. I covered at Purdue and went on and was a great offense outside linebacker in the NFL. Like this is not uncommon in, in football. But it's, oh, it is right. incredibly it's- uncommon at Ohio State. Right. Yeah, right. it is. Yeah. They just so happen to have two guys whose body types fitted exactly because in this situation, JT Tui Malowau is their Tyler Lacey, who is who's 6'4, 290 pounds, and JT right now is 6'4, 275 pounds. And then Brock Martin and Jack Sawyer are the exact same size, 6'4, 250. So, yeah. So, I think you're going to start finding guys like Jack Sawyer who are going to have that versatility, but you're still yeah. a lot of it is you're there to rush the passer, but you're more of a for lack of a better word, finesse end compared to a power end like JT. It turns out they might have a pair of ends who fit this defense perfectly. Not that they wouldn't have fit. Not that they wouldn't have fit the old defense, but in terms of like, Hey, recruit to this defense. It's like, I don't know. Give me JT and Jack Sawyer. That's exactly right. Well, it's it's like how we saw Zach. It's like how we saw Zach Harrison sometimes back in coverage while Tyree Smith was still, was still rushing. We'll, we'll see a lot more of that this year with Jack being what say, Zach is. It's funny that we already recorded this uh, signing day week ahead pod. And one of the questions I had for Steven was what position is Gabe powers when he gets here and what position is he, when he leaves, that's a very different question. I feel like now that we know yeah. this, the, what they're doing with defensive coordinator. And when we saw Michigan, Aiden Hutchinson moved around a lot, but he had his hand down a great deal of time. David Ojabo was up. David Ojabo was in coverage on slot receivers sometimes. Mm-hmm. And he was their second end. Right. I think, and Ojabo, he's a, I think Ojabo made all big tennis in the linebacker. Yeah. But he like was their second end. He but he's like right. a stand-up guy right. on the edge of that defense who also had 10 sacks, but had a more varied set of responsibilities than Hutchinson did. And the fact that I think Ojabo's 
a little quicker, a little smaller, fit that. And I think that was that might be what we're looking at now with Ohio State that you're just going to see. But like, I mean, I guess we saw I, t- I talked I asked Zach Harrison a question about this year because Zach Harrison had a play early in the Michigan State game in the first series where he dropped into coverage on a slot receiver and boxed the guy out like he was getting a rebound and had perfect coverage. And it was like, wow, that was good. But that was really unusual. That's not what Ohio State's. I mean, listen, there's zone blitzes and ends drop. We know that, but they don't do it a ton. That's the kind of thing that may happen more. Okay. So I don't disagree, Stephen, that it's those four guys, but we just needed to be clear where, where the Jack fit in and where the responsibilities mm-hmm. are. So those four, I agree with Let's okay. do that. Now, now okay. let's do linebacker. Cause there's, st- there's only okay. two, right? Just like this year. Yeah. I said starting Simon and Chambers. And then, like, the rotating guys in would be Hickson, Eichenberg. So the thing that we are thinking about here is, Nathan, I think Knowles likes to pressure. He's not afraid to blitz. There are going to be guys. I think it helps sometimes. I don't know if this is actually sound football or not. You can get blitz happy. Fans love to blitz. Media loves to blitz. And defensive coordinators sometimes are like, cool. We blitzed and they knew it was coming and they threw a screen or they threw a hot read and the guy ran 60 yards. Thanks for your blitz suggestion. I do think it can create an attacking mindset. And I think sometimes the Ohio state linebackers, we wanted them to attack more this year compared to what you saw other linebackers do. I think sometimes when you get in that grove, it feels like Nathan, the stuff that we're reading about Jim Knowles is he's hyper-aggressive. He's hyper-aggressive. His players say that maybe the, the, Guys aren't changing a ton. Steven, what Steven just said, it's the same guys plus working five-star CJ Hicks in there, which is no small deal. He could be the Denzel Burke of next year's defense in terms of true freshman impact. But I think Nathan, even if they're playing similar positions, it feels like Jim Knowles is going to ask him to do some different things. Yeah. I think it's going to be important that this, this linebacker core improves as far as its coverage abilities. Uh, but I think you also saw last season instances where they were bringing guys on blitzes, but there's, they're slow guys, man. Like they're not, they weren't getting there. That, that's not their forte. Some of the guys that they were sending on some of those blitzes at, at different times of, of games. And before, when I said that, I thought tonight Ohio state fans would say this was an eight for a higher. I think there's a lot of excitement for it tonight. And then tomorrow morning you wake up and you're like, Oh wait, who are linebackers? Like who, who is going to be the second cornerback? Who what's going on at safety? Like can Josh Proctor walk? Like what's, what's, you know what I mean? Like, so that mm-hmm. still is out there for this next team. Like where, what I, what I'm most intrigued by anytime of this, anytime a change like this happens, because you know, you had, you did have changeover coming into the 2020 season, but Kerry Combs had recruited a lot of those guys. He was familiar with a lot of those guys in the, in that secondary. So now it's a completely fresh set of eyes coming in from the outside with a completely divorced um, philosophy from, from Ohio state. And now he gets to analyze this skill set, this talent from a completely new perspective. I'm, I'm really intrigued by what that, what his eyes see and what his brain reads as far as the talent that this defense has, because I think you're right that they are going to have to ask some guys to do some different things. Um, But I think that they're also going to have to maybe be a little realistic about who they actually have. Two corners, two outside corners. 
Steven, mm-hmm. who you got penciled in there? So I put three guys to two spots, but it's really Denzel's never coming off the field and the other side's rotating. J.K. JK Johnson and Jordan Hancock, just because I'm out on the 2020 guys. I think that probably is a good way to go. And I think we are in a world of two outside corners. That's, well, we'll get to the safeties, but it's you're really thinking about two corners again. You're not thinking of a slot corner, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And some press man. Nathan, back to some press man. And again, disguise coverages, right? Variety of coverages, but not afraid to get up and press man. And again, they played press man. They did some press man, but we've been kind of back and forth on it at times this year. It feels like he wants to be aggressive with that man coverage. Jim Knowles does at least a chunk of the time. It's been the staple of what he's done there. Now, there were a lot of articles, as we all write every year, like coming out of preseason camp, like, oh, they're going to be. It's like whatever your team's identity is, they're going to try a little bit more of this, the opposite thing this year. And this year it was they're going to play more zone, which I think from the other things I read, it sounds like they did mix in more zone this year. But press man is, is the staple of what they've done there. And that in conjunction with the pressure that they bring, I mean, this is a team that no, but no defense in the country has been better at getting off the field on third down the last two years than Oklahoma State. They led the nation in it last year. They're second this year. Like that to me, it, when it's back to back like that, that to me tell that tells you something, especially in a in a conference that's known for its offense. And I think that the aggressive way that they approach third down is uh, is part of that. Now, this Ohio State offense at times very much seemed bend don't break. We talked about that many times over the course of the year. The pass coverage, you'd play a little bit softer, you'd play a little bit back, you'd let teams get some yardage, but kind of lull them into the mistakes. And it was working. I mean, they were getting pick sixes. They were getting turnovers. There was a long stretch of the season where that worked as long as they didn't have to worry about, you know, tackling somebody who was running the ball. With Oklahoma State, it almost seems a little bit like the opposite. It's not like they're giving their, it's not like they allow, well, how do I want to say it? They're not fine with giving up big plays, but because you play more aggressive and you're playing the press man, you kind of naturally do occasionally give up more big plays. They gave up 12 and 11 games, uh, 50 uh, pass plays of 50 more yards or more, which was in the bottom 10 of the country. They gave up, I think, seven this year, which is in the bottom half of of the FCS teams, FBS teams, I'm sorry. So you're going to give up some bigger plays, but overall, the defensive performance seems to back up that approach, that it works. Yeah. I think part of that might – the bend-don't-break thing is fine until your offense has been sitting on the sideline for seven minutes. And I think that's part of this, of why you do need to get a little bit more aggressive because you need to get C.J. Stroud and and this offense back on the field as quickly as possible. And the bend-don't-break thing is fine when you're up by 28 points in the fourth quarter and you're just trying to get out of here with no injuries. But I do think part of this was Ryan Day kind of realizing we probably need somebody who's going to be aggressive in the first and second quarters and not just allow – a defense uh, offense to make mistakes because that's not always going to happen it is interesting to me the more we break this down the more ways we find that Jim Knowles seems to be just 180 degrees opposite of what they've been doing the last two years Mm -hmm. I I think uh how do I say this I think he's schematically pretty similar but perhaps approach wise pretty different and if Ryan Day I mean it's one of those things Ryan Day divorced himself from the single high, which was good, but there's other parts of it that Ryan Day likes, but then Jim Knowles just gets after it a little bit, is a little riskier, right? Is a little more boom bust with, we're going to get after it and we give up plays okay, but we're going to do it from a defensive shell that is not all that different from what you want to do and the kind of guys you want to have on the field. Um, Safety, 
I think we might get to a point where we just have three safeties and maybe we stop calling them a whole bunch of things. Yeah. So Nathan or Steven, who are you thinking for how that might work out next year? That's what I did. I'm not putting names on any of this. I'm just naming who needs to be on the field. Uh, Josh Proctor, Ronnie Hickman, and then Court Williams with Cam Martinez and Latham Ransom behind those guys. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's like, well, I mean, probably does that mean maybe Court's up a little bit and Hickman and Proctor deep? Maybe. Could Hickman be up sometimes? Sure. Could Lathan Ransom be up? But I do think there will be more. Uh, it's more safety kind of group coverage on that slot guy as opposed to the times when at times in the past, Sean Wade, you know, for instance, in 2018 is or 2019, both is up there, you know, playing like man coverage on a slot guy like a third corner and that he came out of the corner room to do that. I don't think the guys who will be tasked with covering slot receivers are coming out of the cornerback room anymore. They're going to be safeties. And maybe the distinction, again, the bandit, the bandits, their bullet. But so the bandits, what? But the, the bandits. If, if I got us to name people, I think the bandit is probably either court or Ronnie. But like the but cover fit- safety. I don't know. Yeah. So we can let them make up the names. Sometimes yeah. they like to change the names because they didn't call it the bullet at Michigan. They called it the uh, Viper. The Wolverine. They call no, it they the Viper. The, yeah, they call it the. <laughs> yeah, and it was a dude who was the same size as a Court Williams playing it. So it's almost like, let's watch the spring game and see what those three guys are doing. But I think they'll they'll move them around and they'll come up with some different name because they call it the Bullet because the Silver Bullets because they had a thing. Yeah. It's like they'll just come up with a better name. They may still try to call it that, but I think Stevens right that. Court Williams is the one that is kind of intriguing to me right now because when I everything I read about the way that Knowles and Oklahoma State has done this is that your safeties, as much as they are there to provide that umbrella coverage and be your backbone against pass defense, they're supposed to be weapons against run defense too. And that was obviously Ohio State had myriad problems with that this year. It wasn't always the safeties that were the problem, but the safeties obviously too often also weren't the solution, I guess would be the mm-hmm. way to say that. So I think that there there may be a concerted effort to get safeties on the field who are strong against the run. And Court Williams would seem, and we haven't seen him do it. This is speculative. But Mm. body type, approach, intelligence would seem to be the guy who could maybe do that. I know Indiana was terrible, but he flashed enough in that game and the two other games where I saw enough to let me know that if he starts getting more snaps and experience, he'll be able to do some of this stuff. And then the other issue is, they don't really have Wisconsin and Iowa in the Big 12. So some of this is good there. And then it's like, what are you going to do when Wisconsin puts three tight ends on the field and tries to run the ball 45 well, times mm-hmm. a game? And maybe it's not exactly this. But then now we're back into this. It's It wasn't that long ago that we were saying like, well, okay, yeah, that single high thing you do, it works against the Big 10. But what does it do when you get on the field against the athletes from these other schools? So it's like, it's trying to solve. Yeah. What, what can you get that solves both problems? But what would you rather do? But actually, I mean, almost that was eh, this year was just jacked. Speaking of the jack, this year defensively was jacked. But I would rather From the jacked defense to the jack defense. I would rather play the defense all year. That is our national championship win the playoff defense and then adjust when we play Wisconsin and Iowa then play your Big Ten style of defense. And mm-hmm. then when you get to Trevor Lawrence, 
be like, hey, Marcus Williamson, you haven't played deep safety all year. You're good for 70 snaps mm-hmm. back there today. Right. Like right. That's that's what I would rather do. So if this is Jim Knowles is bringing a four two five aggressive blitz, ha- not blitz happy, but blitz friendly. Press man disguise some looks kind of thing. And if Iowa and Wisconsin put three tight ends on the field, we'll figure that out for that week. Like, I, I'm, I'm yeah. OK with that. I want to say as it relates to philosophy, um, there was an uh, an Oklahoman article that I was reading about, I think it was maybe going into Bedlam and about just how he had remade that defense this year. And they were going through one possession where like what they'd done on first down, second down, third down, it got the fourth down, it's fourth and three. And everybody in the stadium is expecting him to bring a blitz on, on fourth and three. They show blitz, they show like a, like a zero blitz. They show like everybody's coming. And then the snap comes and everybody backs off. And all of a sudden now you've got eight guys in coverage and whoever they were playing, I can't remember. It might've been Iowa state, like didn't know what to do with it, throw it away, um, turn over on downs. Like, so it's not, I think it's good to say blitz friendly, not blitz happy. I don't think it is a reckless style of defense. It's just being able to, you know, know when to pick those spots. And he seems to, everybody does it to some extent, but he's had success with it. Blitzes, stunts, all that. We talked a lot about when they made the, the, the switch this year, Matt Barnes talked about disguising coverages more, right? Mm-hmm. That they weren't doing that much early, but that's why you lock yourself in the office for 48 hours. That's what you're coming up with. You're coming up with the thing that looks like one thing and then actually is another. And you're coming up with the thing that you used to do this on third down all the time, but for this game, you're going to do the opposite on third down. And more than anything, I think that's what they need. I think almost, I, I, I think, Every almost every fan, almost every media member, everybody in that building, Nathan, that is is where I think everybody landed, wherever that person came from. Schemer first. And the idea that it is a literal lock me in my office guy probably is the thing that I would imagine sounds best to the people listening to this podcast, because if you said how do you think Ohio State's defense can get fixed this offseason? It'd be like, I don't know, find a smart guy and lock him in an office for three months and let him let him see what he can figure out. And I think that's what they got. Yeah. No, I mean, we've said it all along that we thought it had to be. Um, and and I, I talked to some of our texters about this, too, and some things. You know, there were people who were like, they thought, you know, I mean, it's because of the way the Michigan game went, I'm sure, you know, they we need to get somebody with an Ohio background, Ohio State background all these things. I was like, no, man, like you don't need the heart has nothing to do with this. Really. It's about brain. You got to go find the brain. And, and I thought it was important that they go get, you know, it worked really well when Ryan day brought in Jeff Halfley, somebody who he had been talking about that moment with for a long time and the kind of defense that they, they were of like mind with the kind of defense that they would play. And it worked great when they had that personnel, but that personnel has not existed here the last two years. I, you can't ever really bank on getting that mix of personnel again, ever to get, you know, that level of defensive back with that, with chase young, there may not ever be a chase young here again. So like, I think it makes sense for him to step outside of his comfort zone and get a new philosophy, a new perspective on, on how to do this from the ground up. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's no longer just like we're better. We're out more. We have more talent than you see if you can handle it. Like you have to go kind of take it a little bit. 
And that's what you know, when you bring a guy in who likes to blitz and is just aggressive and has a different approach to things. That's what you're saying. You're not just going to sit back and hopefully you out talent everybody for 12 weeks. All right. So that's our emergency pod on the hiring of Jim Knowles. Again, he will not start until January 2nd. He will coach for Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl against Notre Dame. As Stephen and others have pointed out, that means Jim Knowles' last game at Oklahoma State will be against Notre Dame, and his first game at Ohio State will be against Notre Dame. So Jim Knowles and Marcus Freeman will get to know each other very well. I would recommend that people watch the Fiesta Bowl. I've got a bunch of Oklahoma State games on my YouTube TV library, and I'm going to start watching them this week. So we'll have, as we learn more stuff, we will relay that to you guys on text at 614-350-3315. And on this podcast and in stories at cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. You guys have already recorded. Again, we're jamming stuff in because we just love to give content to the peoples. You guys recorded for Wednesday morning a recruiting podcast with the idea of, hey, signing day is just a week away. And then this happens. So we're squeezing this in Tuesday night. And then you're going to get another one Wednesday morning about recruiting. But this is not high school recruiting, but it is something that popped up on the old Twitter machine. This Florida international tackle who is in the transfer portal, who had a very good year for Florida international playing tackle, Greg Stradrawa swung by. So if you read about this kid, he's talking to everyone, Nathan, he's talking to everyone, but why is Ohio state talking to him? Well, I believe that we had a discussion on this pod a couple of weeks ago about who's playing right tackle for this team next year if Dewan Jones goes to the NFL. So that's my question. Is he Dewan Jones insurance or is he the JC Latham replacement? I think it's both because that, I think it's because they, they need yeah. some. He's got three years of eligibility left, this guy, Miles yeah. um, Frazier. So like he's got as we talked about on this recruiting pod, like I was bringing up to Steven, like not looking at 2022, 2022 might take care of itself, but they've got no top 100 offensive linemen coming in for this class. They haven't landed the, you know, that impact tackle that they've been looking for for a while, like since Paris Johnson. So it's like, there's a gap coming up quick, right? Like as early as like 2023, there could be a, because if Paris Johnson leaves after 2022, like, who are your tackles? So I, there's a gap coming up here that they've got to fill. And I think that the portal fills where they've had some shortcomings in offensive line recruiting. Yeah, it's definitely both. It's definitely both. Cause like all their depth on the offensive line is on the interior. So obviously if Dewan Jones goes, but like, it's like, Oh, well, Dewan Jones left that. We got this Florida international guy. We're good to go. It's like, really? <laughs> like no matter how good he was, but if you give him a year to learn, if you like right now, and did you guys already do this on the pod again? Listen to the Wednesday recruiting pod. Who are we projecting as? Because when we did the 2023 Ohio State team will be the greatest team in college football history, we were sort that of like, well, they'll figure out tackle, but we think one of them will be Zach Rice. And then it was like Zach Rice committed somewhere else like a week later. Yeah. So who are their 2023 tackles as of now, assuming? Neither Dewan Jones nor Paris Johnson will be around because they will be well, in the NFL. I thought one of them was going to be Dewan Jones, if you remember that episode correctly. Because that was before he was a starter right. this year. Yeah. Right. 
Right. Okay. I, it, it was that, but also I think we were trying to make this hypothetical case that maybe Paris just wants two years of film on tackle. That was our hope. So, but 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 right I, now, what, for real, it's, it's like Josh Fry. Like, there's no like there is none. Is that the point that they yeah. don't have mm-hmm. either 2023 starting tackle on this roster right now, possibly? Right. Correct. Without some major development of lower ranked recruits, which can happen, which can happen, but it's not normally how Ohio State operates. Anywhere, unless, it's, unless it's unless Dewan Jones ends up staying around that long. But that's you have to be realistic. Ohio State must be operating under the assumption that neither Paris Johnson nor Dewan Jones will be here in 2023. Pantone's board, if he has so. 2023 tackles up there, he does not have Paris Johnson or Dewan Jones there. You have, now, and then it'll be a great surprise if either or of them are here. And we should say, like, there was, you know, Enoch Vamahi was the backup at left tackle, uh, worked as a second string left tackle all this year. Josh Pryor, who you mentioned, a right tackle. I mean, there have been guys of that caliber who have then emerged as a reliable starters. You know, Brandon Bowen did that here. Guys who weren't necessarily top 55 star guys that, that emerged here and had good seasons. But judging just by the Ohio State standard, it's a, it's a worrisome position that they're about to fall into potentially. I'm just waiting for it's like in the next three days, we may get like 19 photos of Greg's to with guys and their, in their living rooms who are in the portal. It's like Greg's to is uh with, uh, you know, Phoenix Uni- university of Phoenix left tackle transfer portal guy, uh, Joe Smith. And the, He's at Idaho State with the transfer, but Greg Stroh is like, oh, my God, Ryan Day is making me go everywhere. That that might be where they are. We have time to talk about that. But if, the- Yeah. If only he'd have been in Wisconsin at the home of J.C. Latham a week before, you know, over this, yeah. a week before signing day. Maybe he wouldn't have to be at the home of a Florida international transfer. Yeah. I don't know. I want to throw another name out there as long as we're talking transfer stuff. Austin Stogner, uh, uh, an Oklahoma guy. Uh, there was a crystal ball projection today for him, a tight end. Yeah. So that's a position that we've said all along that we think Ohio State will go to the portal to get somebody. And um, on the, briefly on the pod that will be out Wednesday morning, I kind of swept past the whole Elias Ricks thing and said that we would talk about it more on Thursday, which I think we should still do because I think we're still trying to get a handle on exactly what's happening there. Where as you know, over the weekend we had indications that he would be here for a visit. And there's reports out today that Ohio state's backing off of him because they are worried about running off other players. So I don't know what the truth is there yet, but we're trying to find out. Okay. Jim Knowles is the new defensive coordinator. He'll be here after Oklahoma State's bowl game and after Ohio State's bowl game, and we'll try to figure out how the rest of that staff will shake out. Recruiting podcast on Wednesday, and then we are meeting with C.J. Stroud on Wednesday. And we'll do something for a Thursday pod based off that. And then for sure, Nathan, do the the peoples know for sure that you are going to New York? Have we told everybody that? I will be in the the greater New York area uh, from Thursday through Saturday night when – the Heisman ceremony is held. So uh, I'll be texting a lot. We'll probably be doing a podcast from there and telling you what, what we hear and see from CJ Stroud and whoever else we get to talk to out there. So how we imagine this will go is recruiting pod Wednesday, Thursday pod, maybe a little shorter. Cause we just did a huge CJ Stroud pod based off what we hear from CJ on Wednesday. That's the Thursday pod, no Friday morning pod. And then Nathan will like 
be talking to CJ Stroud and Bryce Young and Kenny Pickett and Aiden Hutchinson in New York at the media access on Friday. And we will probably pod Friday afternoon or evening about that so that we get Nathan Baird live in New York City. And then you'll have that by late Friday night, Saturday morning at the latest to prepare you for the Heisman ceremony on Saturday night, which then Nathan will cover. It will be interesting. I mean, it'll be Aiden Hutchinson will be a little interesting there. That guy's a good talker and he's feeling pretty good about life right now. So I'll be curious to see uh, what that, what that experience is like. And I just would like to note some feedback I got uh, on Twitter on Tuesday. One, somebody was mad at me and made fun of my pink headphones. Then they said that I hate CJ Stroud and I probably know where they're coming from. I don't, I don't hate CJ Stroud. So I'm sorry if someone thought that I did. And then uh, a Utah fan got very mad that I said, Devin Lloyd, is that his name? And you did call him coach Willingham. I called Willingham Willingham. instead of Whittingham. Yes. Yes. So, so that is on you. You got me yelled at extra because you, you No, he pointed, uh, he, he had my name in there as getting it wrong. So. He was hot. The first text was very hot. This was on Twitter or this was on text? Twitter. No, Twitter, Twitter yeah, from yeah. a Utah fan that uh, uh-huh. I, I invited the Utah fan on the pod. And he said, well, I don't want to be on your, on your podcast. That's my, that's a great strategy is if someone yells at you, just invite them to come on, makes for good content and it makes them less angry. But I think we will try to have a, it's a good reminder. We can have a Utah writer on this podcast before everybody gets to California. So I think we'll probably try to do that in the next 10 days. Okay. Jim Knowles is coming for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.